Let's bring in our next guest right now. Baseball America's Kyle Glazer joins us. Um, and he's had a super, super busy week too. Obviously, there's the draft lottery and the Rule 5 draft going down today and prospects moving. Not crazy amount of trades yet, but Kyle, great to see you, dude. And let's get right into the big news that would obviously make the winter meetings go from super meh to okay with Juan Soto <laughs> reportedly almost on his way to the Yankees. We have dissected that for the past 30 plus minutes. What can you tell us about the return that the Padres are getting? So, so two levels here. Give, give us the lowdown on the players that you can, Kyle. And also, do you think it's a nice return for them? Like, is this what you expected for one year of Juan Soto? Look, the Padres need major league ready starting pitching in the worst way. Right now, their starting rotation is you Darvish, Joe Musgrove, and a whole lot of question marks. They needed arms and also guys who could help them in the bullpen a little bit. So if this trade goes through, they've addressed the need for pitching, not just this year, but in future future years as well. You look at Johnny Brito, you look at Randy Vasquez, you look at Michael King. All these guys have a few, a few years of control left. All of them have experienced starting games in the majors. Now, none of them have a ton of experience starting. Uh, you look at Brito and Vasquez, neither of them threw 100 innings last year. Michael King primarily has pitched in relief in his career, start a little bit. So starting games well for a month or two is different than doing so over a full 162-game season. Nonetheless, these are all upgrades over what the Padres had in-house in terms of Major League Ready arms. Then you look at Drew Thorpe. He's a really, really interesting pitching prospect. Fastball changeup guy. The breaking balls come along a little bit. I saw him back to his days at Cal Poly. Really good competitor. Had one of the best seasons in the minors last year. Won 14 games. Had a two and a half ERA. Got up to double A in his first full season. Uh, again, changeup pitchers, sometimes the numbers they put up in the minors are better than what they'll do in the majors. At the same time, he should be at least a solid number four starter. So none of these guys the Padres got project to be number one or two starters, but that's okay. They needed guys in bulk to fill out a rotation. And realistically, they got three guys who could potentially pitch in their rotation for them this year, plus a top pitching prospect who could do, do so in future years. So do you feel like a Drew Thorpe is going to haunt the Yankees for getting rid of him? Or do you think he's a guy that the Yankees would have never given a chance because he doesn't have that, you know, 97 to 100 fastball that are the guys that they're calling up? Or as starting pitchers, especially if they go and get Yamamoto, who I think we're going to talk about later, you know, they're just going to get relief. I mean, free agent starting pitchers. So Drew Thorpe is almost like guaranteed, hey, it's good I'm getting out of here. I get a shot with another team. This has kind of been the Yankees' M.O. They have pitching prospects, and they almost always use them in trades. Drew Thorpe certainly has talent. Ultimately, he projects more to be kind of that number four-ish starter, someone who's valuable and helps your team, but not really a guy you ever say, oh, gosh, I'm so, so bummed we let him get away. Again, players exceed expectations. You never know what's going to happen. But I think for the Yankees, when you look at how desperately they needed left-handed impact bats, they needed guys who don't swing and miss much. They need a lot of things to kind of change the dynamic of their offense. What Juan Soto brings them, even if it's just for one year, there's a fairly good chance that you know they'll be happy with what he gives them. And the starting pitchers, while maybe they go on to have some success in San Diego, whether it's Thorpe or the other guys, the Yankees can say, okay, we can live without them, especially if they go out and sign some of the big starting pitchers you guys have talked about, like a Yoshinobu Yamamoto, and the fact they've upgraded their offense the way they have. So let's get into that right now. Kyle, you're plugged in. Oh, go ahead, Kratz. You got one more, and then I'm, I'm going to take us in a different direction. No, no, no. I was just going to say, with his, with his profile, 
comparatively. When Sean Markham broke into the big leagues, he was a softer throwing pitcher that was out of college, that came up through the minor leagues really fast, and had a very successful career. Now, there's been comparisons of Drew Thorpe to Chris Paddock, but Chris Paddock's got – he had 99 in the tank. Like, Drew Thorpe (laughs) doesn't have that. So comparison-wise, he's essentially a thumber that can or cannot go right into the big leagues right away if this trade goes through and the Padres put Michael King in the big leagues and Drew Thorpe right in the big leagues. Yeah, Thorpe wouldn't be the one they put in the big leagues. It'd be Brito, Vasquez, and King are the guys that go to the big leagues. Drew Thorpe barely got to double-A last year. He needs a little more time. I wouldn't quite call him a thumber. I mean, he can sit 92-94. He can scrape a 95. It's not like he's up there throwing 88-89. So there is some fastball velocity there. One of the things with him is he's been so secondary heavy over the course of his career. This day back to his college days, uh, I remember watching an entire inning. He didn't throw a single fastball. It was all change-ups and sliders. So there's some sense that as he's starting to throw the fastball more, his arm speed will pick up a little bit. He's a good athlete. He's got some physicality there. Um, he was just so secondary heavy in college that there's a sense that might have taken away from his arm speed. So there is a sense there might be a little more in the tank here, but you're right. He's not going to throw 99, but he's 92-94. He's got a really good changeup. And one of the big differences between him and Chris Paddock, Chris Paddock's curveball was just awful for just to be frank uh, i remember seeing it in the minors you talk about the 20 to 80 scale it was a 30 grade curveball there were times it flashed higher but it was just not a competitive pitch thorpe's is a little bit better than that um again it's not a great pitch but he can lob some in there that are, are usable and solid he'll flash you an average curveball so i think the pitch mix is a little bit more diverse and ultimately that will help him be a starter in the major leagues perhaps a little more at the same time he's not ready from day one he barely got to double a last year he needs to start in the minors this is more vasquez burrito king being the guys who would step right away into the padres pitching staff whether you know all three are in the rotation or you put king in the bullpen and bring him up as a swingman it's going to depend on what else they do this offseason but those are the three guys you say they're on the opening day roster not so much thorpe okay so kyle this deal gets official somewhat soon we would think right medicals and there's a lot of players involved getting checked out and then it's not like the market's going to suddenly go nuts because i still think that shohei otani is holding a lot of it up there are dominoes that will fall right others that are at the top of the market that are waiting to see which team misses out and then that will raise a price tag but that being said at some point the international market is going to take center stage. And this is a very highly talked about international market. So let's dive into that. Obviously, some of it relates to fans that are in here right now to learn about the Yankees or the Padres, because the Padres are going to be dancing, I think, potentially in the international market as well. So I'll kind of open the floor to you to give me, you can even maybe rank it. I don't know if you've done it, but some of the top players available, if you want to do a top three or top five, and give us the lowdown on who's going to be available right now. We know who number one is, but I, I think there are a lot of people that don't know much about, say, two through five, and they're going to get paid as well. Dramatic pause. I stumped him. Yeah, dramatic pause. I feel like I feel like this is when Juan Soto is going to sign. I feel or get the trade's going to go through because last time we had Kyle on. Oh, Craig Council signed. Craig Council, old CC went to went to the South Side. That's right. That's right. We'll bring him right back on though. But I want to talk about Yamamoto. I want to talk about Imanaga. Who I feel like a lot of people don't know much about, and 
he actually is kind of a more not a thumber because the the fastball is high spin but it's it, i think he's clocked like at 90 91 no i i yes it is not very imanaga you're talking about right yeah imanaga pulling, yeah very different my... pitching profile which it's a great change of pace and it, I think it's one of those where it could really work or it could be like, oh, this does not play in the bigs. You know, not, not not play at all. I'm just saying, like, I think there's a lot of variance in terms of what his results could look like, where Yamamoto obviously is, is much easier to prognosticate um, and is on a different planet anyway in terms of his pedigree. So let's bring Kyle back. Kyle's the expert here. So, Kyle, um, I'll, I'll restage the question quicker. Uh, yeah. Give us some rankings here on what the international market's going to look like because, you know, teams like the Yanks, the Padre, Padres, the Dodgers, the Mets, et cetera, they are definitely playing in those uh, in those waters as well. Yeah, so I actually have an article up at BaseballAmerica.com right now where I talk about all seven players in this year's international class coming over from Asia with the ranking. Look, Yoshinobu Yamamoto, that's the guy. I mean, right off the bat, he's going to step into a rotation on opening day be a number two starter, has a chance to contend for Sang Awards. Um, this is the next in the line of great Japanese pitchers to make the jump to MLB. He's going to be one of the best pitchers on any team he joins. So I think there's no question he's the top player in this class. You look at Jung-Hoo Lee, the South Korean outfielder, is number two. His dad's a legendary Korean baseball player. He was known as the Korean Ichiro, uh, one of the great nicknames too, uh, son of the wind for his legendary speed. Um, Jung-Hoo Lee has been kind of a baseball prodigy. He's kind of like the Korean version of, of Bo Bichette, Vlad Jr. a little bit, famous dad known since he was young, uh, skipped the minors entirely in career, went straight from high school to the KBO. Really, really gifted contact hitter. It's probably going to be average over power, but, I mean, he has a chance to hit 280, 290, even 300, 10 to 15 homers, and, and play solid defense in center field. He projects to be a really good everyday center fielder in the major leagues. Those are really the two guys you look at and say, yeah, these are the studs. Shoto Imanaga, the lefty, and Yariel Rodriguez, the Cuban righty who uh, pitched in Japan last. Those two guys are a little more divisive. Um, Imanaga is a crafty left-hander with a deep assortment of pitches. He doesn't spin the ball great. You know, good fastball, good splitter, and he kind of has three different versions of his splitter. So um, knows how to pitch, move in and out, locates his stuff. But there is some concern. Um, his stuff tends to tick down over the course of outings. So in Japan, pitchers only throw once a week. Um, there's not much concern Yamamoto stuff will tick down moving to once every five days. There is concern Imanaga stuff will tick down moving to once every five days. So there's some sense he probably ends up that crafty left-hander, you know, number four or five starter if you really like him. There's some evaluators out there who think he'll be better in kind of a swingman role, you know, go in, give you five innings when you need. He can come pitch out of the bullpen, give you two to three bulk innings a different day. Um, so he's a little more TBD. And, and Yariel Rodriguez really fits a, a late inning setup man profile really well. Fastball slider, really intense, kind of emotional. He pitched well enough as a starter in the World Baseball Classic. Teams are looking at him as a starter. Realistically, he projects to be kind of that hard throwing but inconsistent and frustrating number five starter if you do start him. Whereas if you just put him in the bullpen and let it eat in the seventh or eighth inning, he could be really good for you. Those are kind of the consensus top four guys coming over from Asia this year. Scott's muted, so I'll I'll go. <laughs> he, either that or he's, or Oops, he's my bad. To us. You're good. My bad. I like that. Okay, here I am. Um, I muted myself. So my follow-up here is, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but um, 
Kodai Senga had a brilliant first season yeah. with the New York Mets, and it's looking like a bargain. Like if you knew you were going to get something like that in your first season, and this is how it's going to translate to the bigs, and I still think he might be able to take another step in command and and keep bringing down the walk rate. Um, he probably would have gotten double or more during this free agent process. One thing that they did was make sure that they gave him an extra day pretty frequently, very frequently from what I can recall. So do you think that will be more of a model for pitchers coming over from Japan? Yamamoto might be different because I, I know he is, he is a, a different beast on the mound. I know he's not a big dude, but I mean, people have said like kind of a, just a freakish athlete, um, I'm not as concerned about how that translates and he's 25 years old, but you know, I'm wondering like, say for someone like Imanaga, does he become more of an every sixth day kind of pitcher? Yeah, it depends on the team and their willingness to do that. But there is a sense that if he does move into a role kind of like that, where you build in an extra off day of rest, you just line up the rotation a little bit like that, you probably will get a slightly better version of him. Um, like you said, Yamamoto, there's no concern. Um, game six, the Japan series, he threw 138 pitches and touched 98 miles an hour in the ninth inning. I mean, the guy is a stud. He holds up, no problem. Um, in terms of Imanaga, though, yeah, there, there is a sense that Again, if you can give him that extra day off, you know, he might be better for it. Um, you know, I will say Kodai Senga was was an absolute stud in Japan. Um, not quite Yamamoto's level, but close. Part of the reason his salary was depressed a little bit was he had had some injury issues. Um, but the talent was always there. So I think the fact that, you know, Yamamoto, there's no injury issues. He's going to get paid. I am surprised there's some rumblings that Imanaga might get paid as much as Senga or more. That would surprise me because Senga was just a, a vastly better pitcher. But every year is different, and if teams uh, aren't don't have the injury concerns and they kind of like the idea of a lefty, maybe someone will do it. Yeah, I just think based on the market and how many teams desperately are looking to make a splash, you're just going to get to this point where a few teams are on the outside looking in on the names that they were coveting. So, um, and I think that's why the Padres got a nice return for Juan Soto. A different year, maybe there's a ton of position players available and. The return's not the same, right? Um, so I wanted to ask you a follow-up here from a fan. Uh, Ethan goes, Roki Sasaki better than Yamamoto. Look him up. And I, I've read about him a little bit. Yeah. Uh, do you believe that that's the case? And can you kind of educate people on what you know about him? And I mean, I don't know what his current situation is, but is he still years away from being eligible uh, based on the posting process? Where is he at? Yeah, Roki Sasaki is there in Yoshinobu Yamamoto. Uh, we've written about him. You can go back and look at our World Baseball Classic rankings where we had Sasaki 1 and, and Yamamoto 2 in terms of top 10 foreign prospects. Um, he is a freak of nature. He's pumping 100 with he, – he, let me put it this way. He's the kind of guy when you watch him on video, you you mutter curse words under your breath like holy expletive. This is – it's explosive <laughs> stuff. I mean, it's just absolutely disgusting. It's unfair to the hitters. You know, the fastball, the breaking stuff, the splitter. You talk about 20 to 80 scouting skill, you could put 370s across the board. Um, this is elite, elite stuff. Great athlete, a little bit bigger than Yamamoto, a little bit younger. Um, in terms of his timeline, it's going to depend a little bit on, on whenever his team wants to post him. It would probably be 2026-ish. Um, again, it's going to depend a little bit on posting or versus, you know, 
coming over as a free agent, but uh, he's someone teams absolutely love. There's no question. He is the best pitcher in the world, not currently in Major League Baseball. That's pretty undisputed. So yeah, when he comes over, he's going to get a mass amount of money. I talked about Yamamoto projects to be a number two starter from day one. Sasaki projects to be a number one starter from day one and, and arguably one of the five to 10 best pitchers in Major League Baseball. Do you think Yamamoto is a two, ends up being a two, or is he an ace like I'm, I'm a World Series contender, I want him in game one, you know, I want him pitching as much three times in a series. Do you think he ends up being that way? Because even just obviously both are great, but the difference between one and two right now, I mean, you're looking at a pitcher that, according to many reporters, is inching closer to the $300 million mark in terms of what he's going to cost teams. Yeah, I, I'm not surprised he's going to get 200 million. 300 million definitely uh, surprises me a little bit. It's certainly possible. You know, we talk about the line between a one and a two. There are a lot of guys you might say are number two starters, but have a few seasons where they pitch like number ones. I think one of the big things with him that makes teams so intrigued that there might be some more in the tank is his curveball is a really, really good pitch. 76, 78, kind of a rainbow curveball. It's a plus offering, freezes both left handed and right handed batters. And in Japan, it wasn't used a ton. He did throw it, but Japan, the pitching style is very much fastball split, fastball split. So there's a sense that when he gets over here, he starts using that curveball more. It's just going to give him another weapon, open up his arsenal even more. And maybe that does help him get to that next level where he's a number one. Part of the number two projections are most teams and scouts and evaluators are very, very hesitant to say anyone's a number one starter. That's in the minors, that's internationally, because a big part of it is showing you can hold up for 200 innings and also just have that mentality of it's win day. And you don't really know if a guy has that until he's in the major leagues doing it. So there's that hesitation. But I, I let me put it this way. No one would be surprised if we look up in five years and Yoshinobu Yamamoto is a number one starter in the major leagues. It's absolutely possible. If Yamamoto has Masahiro Tanaka's, one of my good friends, career is that a successful career for Yamamoto in the next seven years I think it has to be that would be multiple time all-star who contended for saying awards at his peak I think if anyone was disappointed with Masahiro Tanaka's career their perspective needs a big adjustment <laughs> for sure and he's a playoff pitcher and I feel like these Japanese pitchers while they have to like the adjustment from playing in Japan to America is huge, but you see them because of their pitch ability and he can shape pitches. Yamamoto can shape pitches all the way from his 76, 78 curveball to yep. his 82 to 89 mile an hour slider, which then shapes into his 90 to 93 cutter, yep. which then shapes into his exploding fastball with a short arm angle. Yep. And I think that stuff plays in the playoffs. I think sometimes they pitch, Japanese pitchers pitch so much during the season. That's like, oh, I got to make this pitch and that pitch and this pitch. And then when it comes to the playoffs, they're like, eh, I'm just going to go with the best pitch in that day. And they can throw so many of them. And I'm excited to see if a young pitcher at 25 has the ability to pitch like that at the highest level. And again, the Japan series is very different than the World Series, different stakes, different level of ability, but he has shown that big game ability. I talk about in the Japan series this past year, he got hit pretty hard in his first start and he bounced right back, came back in game six and 
pitched a complete game, allowed one run, and struck out 14 batters, breaking Yu Darvish's record for uh, most strikeouts in a single Japan Series game to force a game seven for his team. You know, his team, it was, it was win or go home. He went out and delivered one of the best performances in Japan Series history. So that's another factor here. You, know, you talk about his ability to, you know, shape pitches, kind of that feel, that pitch ability. But he also pitches with a chip on his shoulder. Uh, he's a smaller guy who faced questions you know, a lot throughout his career. He was not a first-round pick, you know, considered a golden child. He's had to prove himself every step of the way. He's aggressive. He's fearless. He goes right after hitters. Here's my best stuff. Hit it if you can. Talk about playing in the playoffs. That plays. I mean, you can speak to it a lot, you know, Eric. As guys start nibbling or if they get nervous or they start doubting themselves, opposing offenses sense that and just tee off on them. He doesn't have that. He has that mentality of, I'm going to beat you. Here's my best stuff. Try try to beat me if you can. <laughs> Love it. Kyle, awesome getting you on here. Thanks for jumping on. Obviously, big night, and we were looking for it for a while. And I know it's not official yet by any means, but we're anticipating it. So thanks for breaking that down and the international market. And, and actually, we didn't get to finish that from last time because Craig Council so rudely interrupted you um, by signing with the Cubs. So appreciate <laughs> you, Kyle. We'll have you back on soon, okay? My pleasure. Thanks, guys. Thank you. And you can follow all of Kyle's work. We'll post it on uh, FT Twitter and some of those clips as well. And like he mentioned, he's got great articles right now up on Baseball America, including also his colleague, J.J. Cooper, put up an article on the draft lottery, which I found fascinating the other day. It was really good. 